Grapple fans, and welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Match of the Week. Now, I've come into this with a bit of a cheery tone, but you'll see why I, I, I've probably done that quite poorly in a second, as this Match of the Week has been chosen for a specific reason. But before I get into the choice, let me introduce myself, Simon Cross, and my other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Lorcan Mullen. How are you doing, Lorcan? Yep, this is the second part of a tribute two-hander we've recorded for the listeners, coming out a lot longer after the actual unfortunate passing that we would like, but that's the way the five stars crumble. Uh, For now, at least. Anywho, yes, unfortunately, we are covering this match for a very sad reason. The very untimely passing of one Wyndham Rotunda, a.k.a. Bray Wyatt. Now... Unfortunately, for I say the word unfortunately, but this is just a tragic circumstance. The original draft pick we would have used for a Bray Wyatt tribute match, we've already had to use for a tribute match for um, Brody Lee. So we had a bit of back and forth over what match to use. But the match I ended up choosing, and we can go into the detail of our back and forth shortly, is the match between Bray Wyatt and John Cena at WrestleMania 36. Night 2 in the um, Performance Center with the one fan in attendance, the ceiling fan. It's the Firefly Funhouse match between Bray Wyatt and John Cena. I tell you now, I think that this will go down as the least rewatched WrestleMania in history, maybe with the exception of this match, and maybe also Boneyard match. Yeah. I fast-forwarded through um, the network, because weirdly, on at least on the platform that I use, there were no timestamps. So I had to uh, fast-forward to get to the match. And it's so jarring, having literally nothing. Because this is pre-Thunderdome. This is pre-Performance Centre people cheering. There was nothing for these people to work with. Um, it's horrid. It actually made me, on a personal level, a little sad, just <laughs> rewinding to the slot. But that's before we talk about the sadness of Bray Wyatt's passing. It's just such such an odd time. And that is one of the reasons I picked this match, because it's only really a character like Bray Wyatt that could have produced something in the WWE world of cinematic wrestling to act as, like, basically a cornerstone of of making that WrestleMania somewhat watchable. We all watched it at the time, but that's because we we had nothing to do. It was April 2020, you know? Yeah, one of the many concepts and ideas I've thought of having for shows to do in Let Me Tell You Something, or even maybe something within themselves, would be to go back and look back at AEW and follow it week on week but it being like five or six or however many years back. It's something that Brian Alvarez does a lot on his shows where they'll go back and they've been watching WWF Monday Night Raw in 93 or old TNAs from 2002. And I thought AEW would be the good one because it's so of the moment and so the hottest argument for what happened on one episode of Dynamite one week is not even something we even ponder three weeks later. But I thought the one thing that would put me off wanting to do that is quite early into that run, you're suddenly just going to have to watch for a whole year the COVID matches. And it's very obvious that we really don't want to reflect back on that time at all right now and i don't know how long it will be until we're comfortable with it there's not a lot of films that i've seen that really address that matter and those that do it's not because they've decided to set it in that world but because it's like based on actual events so they have to such as the recent dumb money film about GameStop, and so us talking about cinematic wrestling kind of feels a bit like talking about Kenny Omega, Alan Angels, in that there was a time when we thought, is this where wrestling's going to go, almost? That even when we go back to the arenas, are people like Vince McMahon so going to love indulging their artistic eye that every event going forward is going to have something along those lines? And now, outside of like a couple of Matt Hardy compound things and they usually get relegated to rampage at this point yep cinematic wrestling it's like walking around with bell bottom flares in 1979 it's just not what we want to look at and despite it being so recently the zeitgeist 
has so quickly fallen from it. I think that's for two reasons. I think, one, we started getting a lot of bad cinematic wrestling. And two, because of, like, like as you've mentioned, Lorcan, the connotations with the COVID era, they're sort of, their destinies are sort of intertwined now. Yeah, because cinematic wrestling was around before the COVID, but COVID was the environment that seemed like this is the best way that we can present a lot of what we've done. Because if we can't do it in front of a crowd, we might as well make it like a movie where there's no crowd anyway. Yeah. And you did have some decent examples, I suppose, like the Sting Darby Allen. Ricky Starks. Was it Powerhouse Hobbs? Was he the other part? Powerhouse Hobbs match? was, I think, yeah. Yeah. And obviously, like we said, first one, I mean, that was, what, 2017 or so, when Matt Hardy did the whole... Probably before then, actually. I think it was pre-AEW. Doesn't matter. We're getting away from ourselves. But, I mean, the fact that Matt Hardy then got partnered with Bray Wyatt, eventually, fixed that as well. Because when the WWE did their version of that, the first one of it was the Wyatt family against the New Day, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. That one wasn't very good. Yeah, and then after that we had some other ones like the Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton one in... Was that called the Firefly Funhouse? It was when they went back... Again, Orton went to Wyatt's compound or whatever it was. House of Horrors match? Something like that? Yeah, that sounds about right. And we had ones after this as well with The Fiend and Braun Strowman. And a few other ones. Yeah. And I think maybe ultimately... That's where the frustrations with the creativity of Bray Wyatt lay, especially with The Fiend, where it worked in every aspect until it was actually a wrestling match in the ring. Yes. And then it so regularly fell apart, like the Hell in the Cell match with Seth Rollins, or the WrestleMania matches with Randy Orton, the first one where they projected the maggots in the ring, and I know that was pre-The Fiend. But then when they did do the match with The Fiend at WrestleMania 37, I guess a year later, you had that giant box-like structure. Why couldn't they say box? (laughs) Sorry, that sticks in my craw. Like I know Vince has fetishes for certain wordings of things but it's a box it's just a box (laughs) the funny thing though i think we can tie that in with this match itself that i want to go into with the box like structure because whilst i get why you want to go with this because unfortunately a lot of bray wyatt's greatest achievements don't necessarily correspond with great matches mm-hmm. i was fighting the corner for us to do one of the two matches he had with daniel bryan as he was called in wwe i think they were both at royal rumbles and those were probably the best in-ring singles matches that wyatt had and the fiend had yes but i get why you want to go with this one my other counts to this not necessarily being the best bray wyatt match to put forward is that is this more a match about john cena But watching it, I think that this is a match about John Cena, but it is also about Bray Wyatt, and it is also about Vince McMahon. Yes. Yeah, very much so. It's like if David Lynch had to direct something based on Paul Heyman's rant against Vince McMahon before the 2001 Survivor Series. (laughs) Sort of where I go with how to describe this match. I mean, is this a match, ultimately? It ends with a pinfall. Yeah. But did it start with a bell? I don't know if it did. No, I don't think there's ever I a I looked bell. it up on Wikipedia, and Wikipedia had it listed as a 13-minute encounter, but I don't know if they're... Like, is that from when John Cena goes through the door in the Firefly Funhouse? I mean, the whole video that I watched on YouTube is 16 and a half minutes, so obviously there's something on either side of it that is beyond the 13 minutes, but I don't know where you call it from. <laughs> That might have been just someone's rough estimate of it. And also the other problem I have is that whilst it is Bray Wyatt, and I can get people that say this is one of the best, or the best cinematic wrestling we've had, and the most bizarre but self-reflective thing that WWE's ever done. The most out there, like I said, it's as close as WWE comes to David Lynch. Yes. Uh, I don't know how much David Lynch you've seen. But you get, if someone says something's Lynchian, I think you get the gist, even if you've never even seen it. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at with it. Not seen any David Lynch, but I know what a Lynchian is. I'm a big Lynch fan. I haven't seen all of his work, but pretty much everything I've seen, I've either loved or admired for going there. I've seen all of Twin Peaks. One of my favourite ever films is Mulholland Drive. That was my introduction to David Lynch. I've seen Blue Velvets. I've seen Inland Empire. Oh, and I've seen Dune, his version of Dune as well. Oh, okay. 
I haven't seen a raise ahead. I haven't seen the Elephant Man. And I haven't seen Lost Highway or the straight story. At some point I will fill in those gaps. But with David Lynch, it is that surrealism, sometimes humorous, oftentimes very menacing and terrifying. And I think maybe if my one criticism of this match is that I think it's going for horror and at no point is it scary. No. And some moments with The Fiend have come close to being scary. But I wonder if the reasons that it's not scary are because of Vince interventions. Because I do wonder if things like some of those sound effects and camera shots, it feels like that's Vince's idea of spookiness. But am I just saying because all the stuff I like, I'm going to attribute to Wyatt and Cena and all the stuff I don't like, I'm going to attribute to Vince. Yeah. Because it's had to get Vince's okay to go out there. The thing is, and the thing with Bray Wyatt is across a lot, of his WWE career. A lot of the criticism is you've given him creative freedom. Oh my God, look what you've done with it. it. It's getting weird. It's getting silly. It's getting uncle howdy. His last other match, unfortunately that was a commercial tie in, but they still give it to him. So what does that say about what they thought of him? This was around the time when Vince wasn't involved in creative at all. He was out of the company at that point as well. So you can't pin that on Vince. You genuinely can't. That's one of the sadder elements of this, that when Bray was gone, at the time there was this sense of he was given his full artistic freedom and it came wanting. It just wasn't there. And that if he hadn't died in the year we're recording this, 2023, then... Probably unanimous vote for worst match of the year would probably have been that LA night. Was it Uncle Howdy that he wrestled or was it Bray Wyatt that he wrestled? I don't even know. No, he wrestled Bray Wyatt. Uncle Howdy turned up at the end. I have actually watched that match, but it's I have not tried to commit it to memory. Yes. And even more so, you just don't want to remember that that was the last thing he really did mm. uh, in ring. What was fun about the Bray Wyatt character, especially the Fiend character at first, was this notion that every person that he interacted with, he affected. Yeah. Like, the whole thing that Seth Rollins' heel turn was pretty much straight after. A lot of the guys that wrestled Bray Wyatt after their next feud would then turn heel. Really, the John Cena side of it, because that's why I, when I watched it the first time, I watched it as a full deconstruction of John Cena's character. Mm. and John Cena's presentation to the WWE. And this was Bray Wyatt. This was one of the few times the Let Me In thing actually had a a root in it, because I think like the last thing you saw before WrestleMania was him appearing behind John Cena saying, Let Me In. Yes. And I read that as like Bray Wyatt has hypnotized John Cena, and what we're now seeing is what he did to John during the time he was under this hypnotic spell, he'd been let in by Bray Wyatt. And Bray Wyatt, like I said, is breaking down everything about John Cena's internal fears and failings. Yes. And I get it. And a lot of it works as well as you can hope something as artistically ambitious as WWE's ever tried to be. But watching it again, I appreciated more that this was also... Bray Wyatt getting in as many digs as he could to Vince McMahon and also reflecting on himself. The fact that they bring up Husky Harris in it. The fact that they bring up the fact that that WrestleMania 30 match was the really the beginning of the slide of Bray Wyatt's. The month before that was the the peak. The Wyatt family versus the Shield feud. Yeah. And it was just like they've created six stars and, six, oh. and two all-time great factions and they've had a match that for us, have stood the test of time. Like I think a lot of people say it's favorite match of this era of WWE. Because mm. it was at a time when so many things were going wrong, and the Wyatt family and the Shield had both been put together and booked so perfectly that then when they finally met, they paid it off. They made it work. Yeah, and then there was that moment where there's a promo where he's in the ring with Triple H, and all he does is stroke the title, and the crowd are like, "Oh my god, that would be amazing!" And then. You end up at WrestleMania 30, not a month later. No, that's the, you're, you're mixing up your times there, because that would have been... Because Triple H wasn't champ going into WrestleMania 30. That was Randy Orton. No, sorry. That I would am. have been... Yeah, yeah. But that was a case of people knew what Bray Wyatt could be. Yeah. But at that point, it was like all the potential is gradually being lost. Yeah. More and more as time went on. Yeah. Because he got sacrificed at the altar of John Cena, which was... So often the reason for these characters was to be built up 
until they face John Cena and then they got knocked down. Or the year later, he goes up against The Undertaker and then he gets knocked down again. Yeah. And then there was a time in between there where they just used the Wyatt family in one episode to put over John... I think it was in John Cena's feud with Brock Lesnar when he was replacing Daniel Bryan. He got destroyed by Brock Lesnar, but then he wanted the rematch and to prove that he was worthy of the rematch, they just had him destroy the Wyatt family single-handedly. And at that point, it was like... Well, Wyatt's no longer like the priority. It's like Rusev after he lost to John Cena at WrestleMania. I was going to say 31. Was that 31? Yeah. Yeah, 31 because it was in San Fran. Yep. They don't like being called San Fran. (laughs) (laughs) But it was the same time as Bray Wyatt had the match with The Undertaker. In daylight, you have your two supernatural guys go against each other and you don't even wait for it to get dark. I think because of where they were and what the time of the year, there was barely any point in them, unless you put it on last, that it would be dark, I think. Which, which at that stage with Bray, they were never going to do because they'd spurned their chance to solidify him the year before. But we say that. And this is where I get with wrestling fans. We keep saying, oh, look how poorly they've booked Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt's not the star he once was. They had their chance and they lost it. When Bray Wyatt came out back in 2022, when he was brought back after being released... One of the loudest cheers you ever heard. Yeah. And that was after so many years of mismanagement and bad booking. Or was it that bad booking, really, unless you're of that very specific internet mindset? Do they not mind it that much? When Bray Wyatt won the title, I think that was before WrestleMania 34 or 33, crowd went crazy for that. I mean, people always go crazy for a title change. But the notion that Bray Wyatt stopped being over with the crowd after that match with John Cena or after John Cena squashed them all in order to build up to a match with Brock Lesnar or after The Undertaker beat him in broad daylight and the older generation didn't put over the younger generation. Yeah. Did Bray Wyatt even need that? If Bray Wyatt had pinned The Undertaker then, would his pop have been any greater when he makes a return at that event? I take your point, but... I know other people have specifically said, like, oh, he's not over anymore because of that. But my point was, in terms of, like, someone you, you could have had at the top tier, a la what they did do with Reigns and Rollins, and to a lesser, very lesser extent, Ambrose, but that's that's by the by. There was no better time then to have him beat John Cena there. I don't know if it's because they were going to do the Undertaker thing the same night that they didn't want both of them losing. I'm only speculating, of course. Okay, but let's look at two other aspects of that. One, did he stop being a main event talent? Because he was main eventing pay-per-views with Dean Ambrose when they had Bray Wyatt be the one to move him on from Seth Rollins. He was still main eventing then. He was main eventing whenever they needed someone in an Elimination Chamber match. He was in the Survivor Series Raw vs. SmackDown. Yeah. When he was part with the Randy Orton storyline. He never stopped being a main event talent. And if you're saying he wasn't presented as The Undertaker, which was obviously who they were saying he's part of that lineage, both with that match and then just last year when The Undertaker whispered something into his ear with the LA Knight angle. Yeah. It didn't beat him, but that doesn't make that big of a difference. We're inculcated in that internet bubble. Every bit as much as those WWE fanboys that people go against or those that really go into the Fiend lore and everything. So when they were trying to justify the worst elements of the Fiend character. Yeah. I think he went from being a potential centerpiece for, like, the main table to an accoutrement, basically. I don't think he was ever an accoutrement, except maybe in that one John Cena angle. The only other time he was an accoutrement or, like, a mid-carder would have probably been when he was in that feud with Matt Hardy. And that was more because Matt Hardy outweirded him. Yeah. And the joke was that Bray Wyatt was actually being freaked out by someone. And that was quite funny. And it was a good little change up. And again, it's like all those things. It's like, again, that's why I wanted LMTYS to not be short termist in its outlook. And why I have been complaining so bitterly in recent five star episodes is because we need to look at things beyond just a week. And we need to look at things beyond just a month. And we need to not assume just because Bray Wyatt was squashed by John Cena on that one angle on Raw that that meant you could never build him up to a main event talent again because that is exactly what they did. Yeah. We just always think that everything's the end of the world because of one thing that went wrong at one Raw or one Dynamite. As I said, like one of the ones that really was like properly opened my eyes to it was how in just such a short space of time AEW suddenly turned FTR into the hottest act in wrestling. And it didn't take them more than like five weeks and three great matches and a 
couple of belts to do it. Mm. So my point is, the problem was always going to be, as long as Vince McMahon was there, there was always going to be, you know, no one was going to get over except maybe John Cena, and that's what this match is also about. But even then, this match does underline, as far as top guys go, if you put John Cena in that lineage from Samatino to Morales to Backland to Hogan to Brett, Sean, Austin, Rock, and then John Cena, he's by far the biggest failure out of all of them, really, for losses in ring. Mm. Though that montage at the end where you see him, and they even reference, like, he's lost to Carlito in the match. I mean, this was also where so much of it was, like, WWE embracing their history to such a degree. Usually they never like to acknowledge anything. It's like when they, when they when it's not convenient for them. It's like when The Undertaker and Triple H had their match at WrestleMania 27 and 28. They didn't even want to acknowledge the fact that they'd had a match at WrestleMania 17. They just never wanted to address it. I can't blame them in that particular case. Whereas with the Bray Wyatt, the Fiend thing, the whole story of it is basically Bray Wyatt trying to avenge everyone that wronged him the first time around. Going back to Randy Orton, going back to John Cena. To a lesser extent, going back to Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins, I think. I don't know if he ever went for Roman. Well, he must have gone. Well, no, he didn't go for Roman Reigns. It's no. crazy to think that it was. Wasn't it the Fiend that Bray Wyatt, that Roman Reigns beat for the Universal Title? It was, was yeah. Rollins? Yes. Yeah, it was either him or Strowman. But yeah, going back to Braun Strowman. And the fact that they built this all around one match that happened six years ago, that in especially in the history of John Cena, didn't really mean anything. No. I mean, that whole match was a nightmare. It was because they got a tie-in with Eminem to, with a song called Legacy. Yeah. So everyone just had to say Legacy over and over again. But it was almost like this match atoning for the failings of that match by having Bray Wyatt literally go into the mind of John Cena and get him to swing the chair. But he couldn't get him to do it at WrestleMania 30. And basically, ultimately, the whole match is kind of saying, Vincent Man has lost it, John Cena's a fraud, and Bray Wyatt might be his own worst enemy. And a lot of people do think all of those things. Yeah, and everything that happened afterwards is kind of proven by that, whether it's Vince continuing to lose his mind and then finally being somewhat removed from power almost entirely, especially on a creative front now. Bray Wyatt coming back, having what seems like artistic carte blanche, and it being every bit as bad as the worst stuff of The Fiend, and John Cena saying sorry for calling Hong Kong a country. (laughs) No, no, Taiwan, (laughs) Taiwan, not Hong Kong. Taiwan, sorry, Taiwan. You're right, WWE don't reflect, and they certainly don't ever admit faults, but... This is the closest we get to that. This is... It's a telling of John Cena's story, but it's, like you say, it's as much a telling of Bray Wyatt's story. And using Bray Wyatt as a framing device, especially, again, in the time period that they were, it was the best way of doing what they wanted to do, rather than a match where they speak to each other in sort of that Triple H, Shawn Michaels style, where it's like, I should have done to you what I did to you six years ago. Like, And shouting that across a ring wouldn't have been anywhere near as good as what we ended up with. But the, I think the only reason we ended up with that is a mixture of taking a creative left turn, but that was necessitated by the time that they were in. I think we wouldn't have had anything like this if it wasn't for COVID at all. Yeah, it would have been a straightforward match with odd moments. Maybe a puppet would have turned up, maybe. Yeah, or, you know, the the maggots projection or Alexa Bliss coming out of the box-like structure. Yeah. With that Papa Shango black blood thing going on. <laughs> Oh, God. Do you think Vince got the criticisms against him in this? Do you think Vince got having his puppet sat next to the macho man or Mercy the macho buzzard? Yeah. And that's another crazy thing that so much of that is built around a failed gimmick that lasted about six months back in 1995. (laughs) We're going to have to do Waylon Mercy for match of the week at some point as well, I suppose. Oh, yeah. This is the match that actually does question what is John Cena's legacy, honestly. And as you say, it can't do that through just a wrestling match and John Cena just going through his same moves because that's John Cena. He has those moves and he does them. So unless you have it be Bray Wyatt literally reversing every one of those moves or... I mean, could you have done a whole match of John Cena being under Bray Wyatt's hypnosis and it's in a stadium in front of 80,000 people? No. 
and that was the problem with Wyatt. So much, especially the Fiend stuff, just did not fit a wrestling ring. Especially with the fact that so much of it was Wyatt no selling everything. Yeah. Oh God, that Helena sell match. Yeah, and it's like where do, where do you go from there? Well. I, I'm sorry to fixate on that Hell in a Cell match, but they, they had to put DQs in, in Hell in a Cell, and Sean Waltman lost his mind. <laughs> there was no point C, there was no end to it. It's almost Russo-esque in that it's a good idea, but the execution never comes. Or the worst parts of Paul Heyman, where he builds and builds and builds things for so long, that oftentimes you can't even do the execution because someone's pissed off to a different promotion, or yeah. they break their leg. What is interesting depths of character and lore, like Bray Wyatt alluding that he's going to go after Randy Orton by just looking at a picture of his house being burnt to the ground from three years earlier? Yeah. What of that is deep character lore, and what of that is Leonardo DiCaprio clicking his finger and pointing at the telly? (laughs) And that's where we are with all of art nowadays, really. Especially mainstream arts. I mean, Spider-Verse did do the Spider-Man meme, didn't they? So Spider-Verse actually is exploring character and notions of storytelling. Whereas, like, The Flash is just, oh, look, we've reanimated the corpses of Adam West and Christopher Reeve. Don't you like that? Yeah. As as with everything, there are levels to this. And The Flash sound... I, I've not seen it, but that sounds a bit shark jumpy to me. Yeah, I don't feel bad for spoiling The Flash. You don't need to see The Flash. Although I haven't spoiled the last thing about it, and I will say the last reveal, the last twist in, like, the last 30 seconds of the film is, to me, a better fuck you to the Snyderverse fans than I could ever imagine. (laughs) But that's all I'll say. Those that have seen it will know what I mean. Look, as a wrestling nerd, I'm loving seeing them having Bray Wyatt recreate Kurt Angle's introduction and having John Cena come out in the old trunks. They didn't color coordinate it with the trunks that john cena wore so there's like if you're gonna go that far then really get the little things right have him not just turn up but turn up in the blue and white trunks which was what he wore for that match not the orange and purple variant that he wore two months later having them do the saturday night main event promo in front of a blue bar cage a cage that wwe haven't used since 1999 i think yeah. I think the last time they used the bar cage was funnily enough for the Kennel from Hell match. Wasn't there one in the UK? Wasn't that one of the last ones? Yes. Christian versus Edge. That was during the invasion period. So that was after that as well, yeah. Insurrection? No, it would have been Rebellion because it was like an October one. October, November was always Rebellion. April, May was always exti- uh, Insurrection. Yeah. I remember the finish, which was very clever. Edge duct taping Christian's legs. And then just, like, walking past him. (laughs) Ultimately, this level of nerdery is what you need to get (laughs) everything in this match. Ow. True, but ow. (laughs) And again, is it like Wyatt's got so tied up in the nerdery and the clever cleverness of it that he then just didn't think, and how do we get a 15-minute match out of this? Because that fundamentally is what wrestling has to be. And that was why I always argue that as much as everyone complained about the storylines of WWE and AEW, when they do pay-per-view events, the format of pay-per-view events has still not changed to a wrestling card. Yeah. And as long as you have good wrestlers having wrestling matches on a wrestling card, WWE and AEW, even at their worst, can often pull out some really good stuff. The problem, especially with WWE, is that very often the booking comes into the endings and then the endings can flush down all the goodwill that you've built up. Much like the ending of nearly every Fiend feud and Bray Wyatt feud around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. You can talk people... You're meant to talk people into buildings. And, like, from a creative standpoint, there were aspects about the Fiend and Bray Wyatt previous incarnations, which were very interesting. But once you're in the building, you've still got to deliver something. <laughs> so what was your favourite moment within this match? What was the thing that, you know, it was your Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen but you're getting a bit of a, a little thrill out of, i get that i understood that reference yeah i like the john cena nwo bit which now i'm thinking about it is very similar to diamond dallas page being the guy who never turned in wcw because obviously he wore the shirt i got recruited and then he started battering people so i've, I've just realized there's a parallel between that what do you mean by the diamond dallas page thing so 
There, I don't know the exact episode of Nitro, but at one point, the NWO have been courting Diamond Dallas Page, like, come on, join the dark side. And he was always like the holdout as the NWO grew and grew like a tumor on crack, basically. And then there's one episode where he goes, OK, I'll join. I'll join. Like he cut there. He'll bring him down to the ring. He's like, he comes out like heelish and stuff. He puts on the T-shirt. It's all hugs and smiles and stuff. And everything like that. Diamond Cutter's one of the key members. I think it's Nash. And then runs off into the crowd, rips off the t-shirt, and he like does his Diamond Cutter pose with the fans like, I'm not turning my back on you guys. I was just infiltrating. So I'm not going to say you are definitely wrong. <laughs> but I'm going to say you're almost certainly wrong. Because Cena is not the equivalent of Diamond Dallas Page. Cena is the equivalent of Hulk Hogan. And it's... Referencing the fact that the fans have always wanted, or that our side of the fans have always wanted the John Cena heel turn, which is Hogan at 96. And that is why Bray Wyatt, instead of now playing Kurt Angle introducing a young John Cena, he's playing Eric Bischoff, although he's in an NWO Wolfpack shirt. Yeah. Introducing Hollywood Hogan John Cena, who comes out doing the Hollywood Hogan entrance with the NWO belt. So it is saying that John Cena always knows that he is the inheritor of Hulk Hogan, as also exemplified by him doing the let me tell you something brother blue bar cage thing. That he has always been like this imitation of Hulk Hogan. And that the inevitable end of that point to us was him to have a run as heel Hollywood Cena. And that Cena denied that from us. So that's where you read him taking off the shirt saying, I'm not Hogan, I'm Cena, and I don't need to go heel like Hogan did in order to stay relevant. And that's what the steel chair thing was, because that was Bray Wyatt trying to get him to turn heel the first time, but really it was just because they had a time with an MNN song. <laughs> and they never explain what John Cena's legacy was in WrestleMania 30, but they do in WrestleMania 36 through abstract artistic references that some of us get and some of us don't get. Well, no, I did also get the Hogan link. I, I think they were just trying to do two references at once. Now, But if they were doing the Diamond Dallas Page reference, they, they're not subtle enough to not show a clip of it. And there's nothing of Diamond Dallas Page in John Cena. Nothing. Now, normally I'd agree with you, but this is so abstract that it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to crowbar that in. They don't know how to be that subtle. That's the problem with Vince. And like I said, them adding all these gee whiz bang special effects and not even being able to do a good jump scare. <laughs> if they were going to do the Diamond Dallas Page reference, they would have literally shown Diamond Dallas Page doing it and they would have had John Cena do a diamond cutter. They're not that subtle. Maybe I'm giving them more credit than I should. That's one way of saying it. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> and I was wondering, why is he wearing NWO Wolfpack? And I did also think there's another line that Bray Wyatt says in this whole series where it says, I am red in a sea of black and white. Maybe that's why. So that's me maybe reading more into it than is intended with that. Maybe it's just like they want to sell both NWO t-shirts later on. <laughs> Let, let's be honest. It's that one. It is that one. <laughs> Because the thing that, and, and like, you're, you're really annoyed that the Ruthless Aggression Cena didn't have the right coloured trunks, but they went to all that effort to make sure that Cena wore the same t-shirt when he swings the chair as he came out to the ring with at WrestleMania 30. Well, that's my point. Those, if you're going to make that effort, then you go the whole hog. Yeah, it's, it's not consistent. Not at all. But I remember when we did our Decade of Cena episode, if you want to go all the way back, because that would have been... Quite early in our run, I suppose, because it was meant that to be. Was. I think it was a decade from when he first won the title, so that would have been 2005. So it was 13 years. But I said, I think it says everything about John Cena, and maybe one of the reasons why Vince Man loves him so much is that I didn't go back to watch it, but Ruthless Aggression, which is such a tautology, I don't know of any Ruthful Aggression. <laughs> if you're being aggressive, you're being kind of ruthless. That's the nature of aggression. Yeah. But Vince in the English language. This is the man who gave us box-like structure. Indeed. He had said on the... Because it was after he'd beaten Ric Flair for control of both Raw and SmackDown. So they were keeping the brand separate. But they were obviously in this star-making turn. Like, a few weeks after John Cena's debut, they deliberately put him in a post-match angle. It might have been that same show, actually. They put him in a post-match angle posing with Rey Mysterio and Edge. And it was the show Rey Mysterio made his debut as well. And it was also when they were pushing Brock Lesnar. All sorts of 
big stars being created at that time. Well, that was their intention, that class of 02. Yeah. John Cena, he comes out the SmackDown after Vince McMahon makes that promo about what ruthless aggression is and says, do you have those characteristics? And I'm 90% sure that what Bray Wyatt's saying in that speech is literal words that Vince McMahon said on that Raw to all the wrestlers on the outside of the ring. Mm. So he was giving like an in-universe version of it pep talk, which they also gave backstage as well. I remember around this time, there was one where they did like do some sort of state of the nation speech to the other wrestlers and Triple H did pipe up saying people have to do work harder and do all this stuff and that put him at odds with the boys. But given where he is now in the corporate structure, not the box-like structure, the corporate structure, maybe he was playing that long-term game too. He was. This was a, another version of that. And John Cena comes out to that open challenge from Kurt Angle, which also we referenced when we were doing the Kenny Omega, El Hijo del Vikingo, people complaining you have to build up every wrestler that comes out yeah. when they make their debut, and me pointing out how dumb that statement was when you look at how John Cena debuted. Yep. But what does John Cena do? He comes out, he says his name, and then he parrots Vince McMahon's line and says, I'm the embodiment of what Vince McMahon wants. And that really is what John Cena's been all this time. Yes. And this was a showcase of how everyone knows that. And that deep down John Cena knows that too. But I, I tell you one thing that I've always not been that keen on as an interpretation of that version was that he does the slap to Kurt Angle. But when they do it this time, Bray Wyatt ducks the slap. Again, just Bray Wyatt refusing to sell for anyone. and the point was meant to be that john cena was a bust in that version of his character and that was somewhat true but i refuse to believe he was close to being fired you don't take a guy who has that look and fire him because it was that look that pushed him and and has that it was known at that point what john cena could be Mm. i just think that that's something that really plays into the oh we were so close to losing what could have been like when we say oh steve austin got fired over the phone and then got packaged as the ringmaster. Yeah. Or what they're doing now with the narrative will be going forward with LA Knight, I suppose. (laughs) He was in a Triple H workout video. (laughs) So I never fully bought that notion that John Cena was a bust, but I do get that idea that John Cena is insecure underneath it all and that John Cena's a bully. I found that fascinating. And this was maybe as close, again, in our interpretation, this is as close as we got to seeing every aspect of John Cena we don't like being deconstructed on this telly. And also within that, Vince McMahon's booking of John Cena, and booking in general, having the devil Vince saying, this is such good shit. (laughs) One of the few times we ever heard shit being said on TV. Yeah. I want to believe that it was Vince that actually said that bit. And again, that was one of those ones where I was like, does Vince get what this part is? Yeah. Or... Another bit was uh, John him saying, put your hands up, damn it. Yeah. And I think that that is like Vince's version of William Regal going crazy about people putting their left foot forward. Yeah. I think that's just something that drives Vince crazy backstage. But again, that's those things that we need to know. That well, Not we need to know, but we're the only ones that will know that stuff. Yeah. Well, that's what the such good shit thing was, because it wasn't long after John Moxley's Talk is Jericho thing, where he was talking about... Do I really have to say this? And he's like, but it's such good shit. So maybe, yeah, again, another like layer to maybe like knocking Vince without maybe Vince knowing or Vince caring. It's probably more Vince caring. Or maybe Vince knowing, but not being that bothered by it. Yeah. It's like when Paul Heyman does do that big rant to him on the, and I said, that's the closest thing we've come since then of, and also CM Punk's whole where are my ice cream bars bits. Mm. The Vince ultimately doesn't really care and isn't really paying much attention. And as he said in that ice cream bar bit, I don't care what you want. Yeah. that's that, And that's the thing. I don't care what you want. I don't care what the English language wants. I'm still going to say box-like structure. Mm-hmm. It's interesting with the Nikki Bella reference as well. That Yeah. That was post them splitting up, wasn't it? Of course. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, you don't succeed or you can't really cope in, like, most of the world if you can't laugh at yourself. And I guess Cena's capable of doing that because he could have vetoed that quite easily. But it's one of the reasons that Cena is so beloved by Vince. I think he is, like, his employee of the century. Yeah. Which is why he tried to push him as the greatest of all time when they did that whole Babe Ruth thing. It's because I think he's the most compliant that any... Of his top guys have ever been. Mm. Hogan was a bastard to deal with. Especially when the things went bad for him. Austin was awkward. 
Sean was super awkward at all times. <laughs> Understatement. Brett punched him in the face and The Rock fucked off to Hollywood. Yeah? John Cena stayed. For the longest time, John Cena stayed. He has left now. <laughs> well, yeah, but like very late into his run. And it's so funny that John Cena has become this high profile pop culture figure that people know outside of wrestling. Really after he left wrestling for the most part. I remember when, when John Cena was being pushed as the top guy in the WWE, he didn't get to host SNL. Yeah. He appeared in one sketch on SNL where they didn't say who he was. And the only movie appearances he made were in the Fred trilogy. <laughs> well, a job's a job. But then he comes back and he's like coming back and again been more of the company man than The Rock ever was when The Rock said he's coming back and he's never leaving. Oh, no one ever believes those. Putting over Austin Theory, even if it's half-hearted, he's still ultimately putting him over. But then he goes to the promos and the promos... The thing is, when you kind of promo, you are supposed to say, well, you're going to win a match and why someone else is going to lose it. Yeah. I guess the problem is that it, it's always like John Cena promos work in a world where John Cena is always pushed as the winner and booked as the winner. Mm. And he says, you say it, but then you can't back it up and you can't do it in the ring. And it's like, well, I'm never booked to do it in the ring. <laughs> the only time I get booked to do it in the ring is when you have a kid doing a spooky voice over the microphone as you're about to get out the cage. <laughs> So I guess it's that thing of like, do you actually believe all this shit that you're saying in these promos backstage? Do you believe that you are the hardest worker out here? Yeah. Because no one else would do what you would do, but no one else has been given the chance to do what you would do. And then it's like, gonna this WrestleMania, I'm ending the existence of the most overhyped, overvalued, overprivileged superstar in WWE existence. Yeah. Cena's saying that to Wyatt, and obviously overprivileged, you can argue the Bray Wyatt's a Nepo baby. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You can say that he was one of Triple H's pet projects that he was desperately trying to fight for at all times. And as we said, there are times when Bray Wyatt has failed to live up to the hype that he himself created and happens after this. But obviously what it is ultimately saying is that that was John Cena all along. That John Cena was overhyped, overvalued and definitely overprivileged. Yeah. But then if with this deconstruction was total and complete John Cena wouldn't be turning up then like I don't know a few a year later doing tag stuff with Becky Lynch or whatever it is he would be doing he'd be going into Wrestlemania's against Austin Theory and like John Cena hasn't been affected by this match since this match happened because he wasn't around to feel the after effects of it I suppose yeah in this one little vacuum this little moment where WWE through all these various situations and having these unusual creative vision in Bray Wyatt as well. And it came together and it worked. It's kind of like the 1998 Survivor Series is to Vince Russo booking. <laughs> is this match. The time where it all comes together and works. I guess because it's in its own super vacuum. It was already in its own vacuum because it's self-referential. But because there's literally no one around to respond to it. it it's protected. That's maybe why it's so good. <laughs> and obviously we can never go any further and see if Wyatt had still it within him to go further. And I do wonder if maybe the reason that it didn't work in that brief period where he came back is that Vince is a weird guy. <laughs> Understatement number two. He probably loved this in his own way. And he thought this was such good shit. But for entirely different reasons than we thought it was such good shit. It's like my argument that Vince McMahon in so many ways is the George Lucas of pro wrestling. And that he changed it all with a vision that we were getting one thing from that vision. And he was getting something else entirely from that vision. Yeah. But it just happened that we both loved it, but for entirely different reasons. And that's why the two sides, you know, Star Wars fans with George Lucas and WWE or wrestling fans with Vincent Mann, were at loggerheads then afterwards with everything after, with the prequels and us with John Cena, essentially. John Cena is the Star Wars prequels of wrestlers to so many online fans. <laughs> but obviously that he means something to a different generation, in the same way the prequels mean so many things to, to a different generation who <sighs> get their kicks out of seeing Hayden Christensen turn up in every Star Wars property we get now. Yeah, <laughs> that's weird, but... And it's, it's it's just how things are, like self-referential, like you say. It's what a world we live in these days. I mean, can you imagine showing this to someone that's like maybe watched wrestling during the Attitude Era, or like you 
your girlfriend sitting down with you. It's like, this is nothing of what I thought wrestling was. Like, do you know that episode we did of what would you show to someone to show wrestling for the first time? Like, if I think if either of us had tried to pitch this, we'd have been torn asunder by the other. <laughs> this would actually have been worse than your, yeah, if you have to watch one New Japan match to get you into New Japan. Watch Kazuchika Okada against Tetsuya Naito at Wrestle Kingdom 2020. <laughs> this is like that times 10. See, I knew, I knew, I knew that would be your response as well. I set myself up for that. Well, I mean, that's deep lore within our world as well. There you go. There's, there's not really much else to say except it, it obviously... Well, I think we just need to reflect more on Wyndham Rotunda himself, really. Yeah. A man of such... Vision and creativity and energy and passion. I mean, I remember the Husky Harris on NXT. And say what you will about the character. Wyndham Rotunda put everything into it. Oh, yes. You can never say he did anything by halves. At any point, whatever size he was that fluctuated wildly. And again, was being referenced in this. Obviously, it's clear that Vince had been body shaming Bray Wyatt at various points backstage as seen in this and John Cena saying that the Husky Harris is the weight that I can manage and the pig character that ends up being who John Cena's grounding and pounding is the pig version that like that's the sad side of Bray Wyatt the the eating to make himself feel better version <laughs> I don't know or the vision that Vincent Mann has of him as this fat little piggy yeah tucking into chocolate or whatever it is like there's stuff that we don't ne- we'll never necessarily get because he won't be able to say this is because of something that vince said to me backstage like there's probably stuff that the vince character says either in this or in all those other like muscle video skits that he was doing around this time as well there was stuff that vince had probably said to him when he was bollocking him backstage that he's bringing up oh absolutely this is Jaden sancho i'm not going to apologize <laughs> <laughs> wow look how that's working out Well, maybe that's what the release was. Potentially. The tragedies in wrestling hurt just as much as they ever have. The only relief, I suppose, is that they're fewer and further between. Yes. That this coincided with the Terry Funk loss was very sad, but Terry Funk losing his life at 80 years old, soon after his wife died, obviously dealing with dementia that you're never going to recover from. Yeah. That ultimately makes it a, like it's not a release necessarily, but those like for me, I, I that's the dread I think everyone has really is either premature death mm. or the death that comes long after the person that you knew has gone. I guess those are the two different kinds of tragedies we've been confronted with Funk and with Wyndham Rotunda. Yes, and obviously just anyone out, any parent outlasting their child or any children being left without a father. It's why I got angry at people who were like saying, God, the poetry of the Ultimate Warrior saying his last lines in the ring. And it's like, the Ultimate Warrior is like a a drop in the water of the life of Jim Helwig as far as having children goes and everything. Absolutely. Or a wife or a widow. So we we should just appreciate what we got from him. And for all the frustrations that we have, we did get the Wyatt Family Against the Shield. We did get the Firefly Funhouse. We did get some of the most crazy inventive pushing the boundaries of what wrestling can be but where it falls apart sometimes is when it had to go back to that wrestling i sometimes wonder if wrestling was going to turn out to be the right final career path for Wyndham rotunda Mm. or if maybe some sort of writing or filmmaking path was maybe somewhere that he might have gone down later on in life or if the WWE release had happened you, you knew there was something in there it was just still finding its outlets yeah even to the end still being honed and that he still obviously had that passion to be creative despite having knockbacks and setbacks and what have you yeah exactly as deflating as it is that the last match we'll ever have from him was that one with LA Knight I think that somewhere within him there was another Wyatt Family versus The Shield somewhere within him there was another John Cena Firefly Funhouse artistic deconstruction of wrestling in itself yeah absolutely always want to push themselves creatively there's no leaning back on things like he was obviously he wasn't going back to The Fiend or at least if they were it was going to be a different version of The Fiend with However, they were going. They were, he was trying to humanise the Bray Wyatt character. There was probably a lot more of Wyndham Rotunda in those final promos that he was cutting. Yeah. As repetitive as they started to get. And as I say, maybe under the more conventional-minded Triple H. And maybe this is a sign that with Triple H booking, you're never going to get as dumb as Vince got. But maybe you're never going to hit the heights and the craziness that could happen under Vince again either. Risk can come with reward, can't it? 
yeah, like Vince, you get the down moments, but you also get Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant, and you get the Attitude Era. I don't know that you can get an Attitude Era out of Triple H, even though he was one of the key figures within that Attitude Era. Not as big as he likes to suggest he is, but... (laughs) (laughs) Both Vince and Bray Wyatt wanted to go beyond what wrestling was. Oh, yeah. Vince, as much for ego reasons... Wyndham Rotunda for artistic reasons. Yeah, I think that's what I'll always say. Wyndham was a unique voice in wrestling. And at a time when we're watching the same five-star matches over and over again, I'd sacrifice 50 of those five-star matches that we covered if we can still have some Wyndham Rotundas out there trying to do Firefly Funhouse matches. Yeah. And guys like John Cena willing to go with them. And guys as crazy as Vince McMahon thinking in their head, maybe for different reasons than us, this is such good shit. <laughs> Indeed. I think that's a beautiful place to end it, to be brutally honest. Um, people want to get in touch with me. They can find me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of original members of the Wyatt family. And how can people reach you, Lorcan? They can get in touch with me at Lorcan Mullen, L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N. This is the A at the end of Rotunda, and the N at the end of Fun, in Firefly Funhouse. That's my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you're putting that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. How can they get in touch with the show, Simon? Uh, they can get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handle. And also you can find us on Patreon should you wish to fund this um, consistent level of inane ranting that we do at times. And Doesn't get more inane than this. <laughs> yes. Wrestlemania. That was another working title. That's all right. And sadly, in this case, a introspective of a man who left this world far too soon. But really, there is nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Simon Cross. And my name's Lorcan Mullen. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great week. Until the next week.